Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Full Stack Journey podcast. Thanks for listening. My goal today, as always, is to equip listeners to start or continue on their journey to being a full stack engineer. What is a full stack engineer? Well, if you're asking that question, then you're in the right place. A full stack engineer is someone who's capable of working across multiple silos and moving among multiple layers of the modern data center stack. You may not be an expert in all these areas, but you'll have expertise in at least one and reasonable knowledge and proficiency in several more. And my goal as I bring guests on the podcast is to help talk about all these various areas and provide information to help you expand your knowledge and your skill set as you journey along that full stack journey. Joining me today is uh, Dr. Jay Metz. Jay, welcome. Jay Thanks for being on the podcast. How are you? I am just dandy. Thank you for asking. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that you're doing well, and thanks for taking some time out of your day to uh, join me on the podcast here. Well, yes, you know, I just spend most of my day twiddling my thumbs, kicking it back, and playing video games. That's that's my normal raison d'etre. Ah, well, I wish I had your job then. Yeah, actually, so do I. That sounds really nice, doesn't it? <laughs> it does indeed. All right, Jay. Obviously, you and I know each other very well. We've we've known either each other for for a few years now. But for those listeners who may not be familiar with you, why don't you take a few minutes and just give some background, a little bit about where you're coming from. Feel free to provide some contact information if they want to follow you online or whatever of that matter. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, my name is Jay Metz. I have a funny spelled name and it's just the letter J. And I am a research and development engineer for advanced storage for Cisco Systems. So, in other words, I do storage inside of a compute division of a networking company, and you can imagine how much uh, that makes my life interesting. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, mostly, uh, at, uh, at Dr. J Metz, D-R-J-M-E-T-Z, but I also have my own blog, which has quite a few storage-related uh, information and articles at jmetz.com. So, that's pretty much how people can haunt me on the net. Awesome. Okay. Well, good deal. Well, naturally, since you're kind of a, the storage guy, among other things, uh, we're going to be talking. Yeah, we're going to be talking today about storage and what it means as we as as this industry evolves, as technology evolves, and as we move into a realm where sitting in our silo just you know isn't good enough anymore, right? Because that's not what the business needs. The business needs us as IT professionals to be more multidisciplinary than we have been in the past. Um, I'd like to talk for a little while about kind of how storage is changing and some of the big changes that are occurring in storage and not just storage from an on-premises perspective as well, but storage also looking at, you know, say moving into the public cloud with AWS or Azure or Google or whatever the case may be. Mm. So, uh, you know, from your perspective as somebody who is deeply involved in the storage industry, I mean, I know that you're actively involved in, in SNEA and you've been in storage for quite a while, um, and you were on uh, another board with a fiber channel. Uh, Actually, I'm on that? three. Yeah, I'm three. A, okay. Yeah, I'm on the board of directors for Fiber Channel, and I'm on the board of directors for SNEA, and I'm also on the board of directors. It's called the Promoters Board for the NVM Express Group. So I have my fingers in a lot of different industry pies. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm kind of in a weird situation in that regard. Well, I actually think that that I think prepares you really well to kind of have this discussion. Because you've looked at storage in a lot of different uh, perspectives, so from from your perspective, you know, knowing what you know and doing what you do and being involved as you are, look at. Uh, let me let me ask then what what are sort of the the major changes that are occurring in storage? Um, first, from an on premises perspective, and then and then later from maybe how does this play into public cloud? I mean, what are your thoughts there? Well, I mean, storage means everything. So everything that storage is related to the data center, and I'm only being slightly hyperbolic here, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's stuff going on at the component level. There's stuff going on at the bit level. There's stuff going on at the global level. And I mean that in a very literal sense that you know global storage access is something that's happening, especially at the cloud basis. But all points in between, and there's no real hard delineations. And so the, the ripple effect both up and down that approach tends to be uh, something to get – can be difficult to get a handle on. So it's a, it's a very fair question. Um, so I'm going to ask you, which do you want to start with? you want to start from the small up or do you want to start from the ups, uh, the, the big down, top down or the bottom? Yeah, let's, let's, let's start at the bottom. Start at some of the, the, you know, some of the very detailed you know, sort of component level technologies. And, and we don't have to spend a lot of time here, but just to help 
listeners sort of understand, you know, hey, we've got a lot of different things happening from the perspective of, you know, uh, performance capacity, uh, you know, availability, et cetera, et cetera. And then maybe we can just build up from there. Sure. Well, I think that's probably a really good good starting point too, um, because what's happening is that we've got a lot of new technologies that are coming out in the not only in the last couple of years but also in the next upcoming years. Everything from the way that devices interconnect with each other, different form factors, different approaches to solving the same problem, to the protocols that we use to have CPUs talk to the actual storage devices, to the networks that connect these things inside and outside of a data center, and then the software that manages them. So we've got a lot of different things that that really make a huge impact, and those ripples in, in the pond will go pretty far. Let's start off with a little bit on the persistent memory approach, because really that's the genesis for a lot of these different systems and the changes that are going on with them. So you've heard about non-volatile memory express or NVMe. Well, what that involves is the ability to communicate with persistent memory, uh, also called non-volatile memory, in, in such a way that it's more efficient and, and, and quicker and more, more speedy and, and more flexible. But in order to do that, you have to accommodate the ecosystem that goes around it, which means that you open up different areas of how these things are accessed through different approaches for form factors. Like if you've ever opened up a, a laptop computer, you've seen what the, the the thumbstick memory device looks like. It's um, in, in enterprise, it's a, it's an M.2 form factor, but we also have the SSDs. And then we have things called like U.2 SSDs. And then we have uh, a number of different other kinds of approaches like open channel type of, of SSDs. All these words that I'm throwing at you are just simply the the changes of how people are thinking about the form factor and connecting to them at the component level on a very small basis. And that in and of itself changes the way in the nature of the relationship between the applications and the corresponding storage. So I, I just threw a whole bunch of stuff at you. Let me see if I can, I, I can unpack some of that stuff. When we talk about storage from a traditional perspective, we really think of it as an airlocked system outside of everything else. So, for example, if you have a host, whether it be virtualized or it be a bare metal server, and it has to access its storage, the CPU that runs the programs doesn't natively talk to the storage language. SCSI is the language of, of, of choice for talking to devices. But the CPU doesn't talk SCSI. It does talk PCIe, however. So if you can get the storage to talk PCIe, you can bypass some of the translations that go on with SCSI. That is the premise behind NVMe, or Non-Volatile Memory Express. The form factors of what that memory looks like, what that storage looks like, becomes combined. In other words, the storage, which has traditionally been pretty slow because it was on spinning disks, now gets much faster because we move from spinning disks to flash to you've heard must have heard of 3D crosspoint or or Xenand or something along those lines. Those kinds of things where memory and storage wind up overlapping in some ways because it's it's treated like memory in some cases, but it's also treated like storage in others because it's fast enough to be treated in both cases. Am I, are you with me so far? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I find it really interesting that I, I don't know that I ever took the time to kind of expand what NVMe stood for, but I find it very fascinating that we're talking, that the shift in terminology, that we're now talking non-volatile memory mm -hmm. instead of talking about storage. Which right. seems to me like that that's a, a subtle but significant shift that's occurring. It it is. And and so what's happening is that people who are familiar with memory systems, and trust me when I say the propeller spins another way when you're talking about memory, are now thinking about storage and vice versa. So a lot of the paradigms that people have gotten used to over the last 20, 30, 40 years are suddenly being put on their ears because now they're being responsible for their aspects that they, they never really thought of before. And the key thing here that, that really is the, the focus point and should be the focus point is time. Because what we're really doing is we're improving time to data. So whereas in, in, in the scope of, of time, you have seconds 
and then you can you break down the seconds to closer and closer to to zero. So you know we've got we have seconds, we have milliseconds, we have microseconds, we've got uh, nanoseconds, and we've got picoseconds. And and picoseconds is is what happens inside of a uh, of a CPU. Nanoseconds is what happens inside of RAM. Microseconds is what happens inside of SSDs, and milliseconds is what happens inside of spinning disks. And for many, many, many moons, those lines were never crossed. In fact, you have specific types of solutions at each of those different time constructs. What NVMe and the type of, of memory and type of storage that are coming out are doing are saying, well, we're, we're using protocols for microseconds for hardware that exists in, millis- uh, in uh, sorry, microseconds. So going from milliseconds to microseconds, well, you're going to get faster performance, right? It's just it's faster. It's a whole order of magnitude faster. That's good, and that's what all flash arrays do. That's what flash in your in your uh, your laptop does. That's what flash in your your phone does. It makes it faster. Makes it easy to do the things that we now take for granted. However, simply making what we currently do faster is never enough. We also have to figure out what we can do that we could never do before because it just took too long. Well, when we move from from high microseconds to low microseconds and the upper band of nanoseconds, now we're talking about some really interesting types of solutions. That's the kind of stuff that we put in for caching, right? That's that's cache layer type stuff. Well, if you're going to use this for caching, you have to get into the kind of stuff that caching requires, like durability and and um, and, and the the kind of magic that happens with with that level of, of time-based elements. But now we're talking about using applications in that space as capacity. So now our cache layer, that time the frame that we have for caching, can be used for actually actual capacity. Well, what does that mean? Well, does this change the way that we think about caching? And does it change the way that we think about how applications use caching? And does it change the way that operating systems use storage? Because if you have storage that's actually faster than your cache, which is not out of the realm of possibility anymore, why would you use cache? Why would you do something like that? So these are the kinds of questions that happen at a, at a very small level, the very towards the CPU level, that are profoundly impacting everything from application development to operating system development to uh, accessing data on storage devices to management to the whole, the whole kit and the caboodle. There's just a lot of stuff going on based upon a, the very simple basis of changing time. Yeah, I could, I could easily see where demolishing the formerly well-established boundaries between storage tiers, if you will, now introduces uh, not only a new set of possibilities, but also a new set of challenges. So clearly there's a lot going on from the on-premises stuff, but if we if we go up a layer and we start talking about, okay, now we have, maybe it's due to Moore's law, maybe it's due to the increased speed of, of the storage, I don't know, and we could have that discussion probably ad infinitum. But as we move up, we're seeing increasing levels of abstraction that are becoming prevalent, at least it seems in the data center. This I'm not a fan of the term software-defined storage, but that seems to be the term the industry has latched onto, where you know they're taking capacity from various endpoints, hosts, arrays, whatever, and then you know, virtualizing them and presenting them back out. I mean, do you do you see that as? I mean, I don't know. It just seems like that's predominantly a trend that isn't going to go away. It's not like a fad. It seems like that's really going to be the way things are moving forward. I mean, what do you think? No, well, I think it is, and that's one of the reasons why the networking becomes so important at that level, because the the problem is that you've solved a management issue for scale, but you haven't solved the performance issue. And if you don't understand how the network actually works that that provides the interconnectivity between the different devices, you can wind up making some significant mistakes, whether that be on-premises or off. All right. So on-site storage um, that goes into this particular metaphor, right, where you're going to really, really fast storage and a lot of it inside a particular server, you can you can modify the latency of management that software-defined storage provides if the actual in-server compute and storage works really, really fast. So 
um, software defined storage means pretty much something to everybody, depending on you, you ask, right? You ask 10 people, you're going to get 10 different answers. The way I define software defined storage is that it is effectively a software layer that interconnects a number of different pieces of the puzzle to provide access, regardless of whether it be on-site or across the globe. And it covers enough of, it's vague enough that it covers the management aspect of it, it covers the implementation side of it, but it's very different than using the native protocols of a storage system to interconnect the, the devices. Let me give you an example of what I mean because that, that does sound a little bit vague. If I have a host and I wanted to communicate to my storage and I do this inside of a server, I can connect using a PCIe. I don't need to have special software for that. The, the host software will manage the relationship to the storage quite nicely without the need of any kind of, of SDS approach. If I want to extend that outside of the server and I want to connect to an array or an appliance, I still don't need a special software piece to do that. I, I can just connect a direct attached storage device using almost any protocol that I want. I can do it with Fiber Channel, InfiniBand, Ethernet, PCIe. I can do almost anything and I don't need to have a special software layer to do that. However, we don't just run storage with our hosts. We have to be able to run lots of storage with lots of hosts. And what we want to do is we want to be able to figure out how we can connect these different elements together in, in such a way that we find the trade-off between the performance that we lose by injecting software into the system and the scale that we gain by being able to extrapolate this across multiple devices. So, if I can have things as close to the wire as possible, I'm going to get better performance. If I get things as close to the software layer as possible, I'm going to get better scale, generally speaking. There are some exceptions to both rules, but by and large, that's the rule of thumb. You with me so far? Absolutely. It's a balancing act. Exactly. And there's always a trade-off. Every, every technology has a sweet spot. What software-defined storage does is, and I'm and I'm kind of putting this into, like I said, it's a vague definition that includes things like hyperconvergence because that's a specialized case of software-defined storage. If depending upon my needs, I can actually distribute the abstraction layer for understanding where the data is placed across a, a small number of nodes, and by small, I mean less than a hundred. Usually, it's more than less, or it's more likely less than ten, but I know that there are some systems that can go pretty high, so I'm going to say less than 100. If I want to have really fast, scalable performance that has thousands of nodes, I'm talking more like a fiber channel system or a SAN, right? We're talking SAN environments. And so um, I would not call a SAN environment a software-defined storage environment, though, because we're not requiring upper-layer protocols to manage the actual relationship between the hosts and the targets. It's all about how we understand those relationships, and that's where the SDS comes into play. So if we have something that manages data placement or data locality or something along those lines and and uh, also throws in the provisioning aspect of things where you can actually call up a storage volume or, a, or pretends that it's a volume, it could be a file and call it a volume, for instance, that qualifies. That, that'll work fine for software-defined storage at a, a large scale. Um, and I'm, I'm being deliberately... Uh, evasive uh, on trying to pin down any particular solution because there's so many different companies that have software-defined storage solutions that they claim. I don't want to try to, you know, eliminate the possibilities for those. But at the at the basis for all of them, you have that trade-off. You will always have that trade-off, and that's what people are going to have to understand. So, for example, you were talking earlier about you know uh, on-site versus cloud, and if you're going to be doing block storage in cloud, you are using block storage, but you're not using it on site, right? So all of the requirements that you need for block storage are still going to remain. It's just going to be somebody else's block storage. Just you have access to it, right? So that's the main difference. It has who owns the box is really what, where that comes into play. And I'm always kind of confused at some of the splitting hairs that people go over in terms of what they need to do in order to have proper block storage in, in 
uh, Amazon, for instance, you know, because quite frankly, it's that's Amazon's problem. You have a management issue of being able to provision, but that's 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 not an architectural decision. That's not a um, it's not an implementation choice that you have. So the trade off there is that you're you're basically offloading some of the management, but the actual underlying performance and and uh, characteristics of the block storage are still going to remain. Right, right, and I, so uh, you know, I'm I'm listening to the, the discussion, and it seems to me there's there's trade offs in in multiple sort of dimensions, if you will, depending on how you want to look at this. Uh, there's there's the trade off between performance and scale as you find the balance with regards to you know being closer to the hardware and lower level protocols versus layers of software abstraction to give you let's say greater manageability or greater ease of use or or greater um, scale from assembling, you know, building blocks together to get to get more, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it also seems like there's a trade-off between access to the knobs versus a more abstracted service, if you will, mm-hmm. and and that could be taken and then also expanded to include the the on-premises versus public cloud use case, where in, in an on-premises deployment, you have sort of full access to all of the nerd knobs. That you might need to tweak or feel like you need to tweak, even though the basics, as you point out, of block storage are the basics of block storage. Uh, on the other end of that spectrum, you have, you know, let's say, EBS from Amazon, where you say, I need a volume of this size and I need this many IOPS. And that's about the only nerd knobs you have access to. Right. So there's a, there's a trade-off there as well. I guess the thing that I'm really interested in, and, and I was, um, it's not the only thing I'm interested in, but one thing I'd really like to tease out of this is, for somebody on the outside mm-hmm. who's coming into storage, let's say, you know, I'm a networking uh, dude, mm-hmm. or um, you know, I'm a maybe I'm an applications gal, and I'm I need to expand my knowledge and I need to look at storage. Right? We have this this vast array of of technologies, you know, that you you've described in terms of looking at component level. Right? We have um, all of these protocols. Some of them, you know, local to a system. Some of them suitable for building distributed environments. Um, we have, you know, software layers on top of that in various implementations and, and various shapes and forms. And then we have some of that happening on premises and other variations of that happening in the cloud. Where does someone get started? And that's a very good question. Um, because what happens is when people tend to get started, they're they're intelligent. They've they've done data center work before. They're they're technical and and they basically just need to figure out, you know, how not to swallow the ocean in the first go. The problem that they'll come up across is that they will be presented with how technologies work um, in the sense of what I call a horizontal view. And that is they'll find all kinds of presentations on how technologies connect a host to a storage target. And all of the different systems look frighteningly similar. You know, you, you talk about, you know, you have a host, you have a network and you have a storage target. And all we're really doing is constantly showing hosts, networks, and storage targets. And there's no real identification of why you would choose that particular technology, sort of assumed. I, I think that we need to have people look at it from a vertical perspective. That's uh, my own term there, which is that instead of looking at how things connect from a host, network, and storage, we really try to figure out where are we looking in the, in the broad scope of, of up the stack. Meaning if I've got something that's inside of a host or if I've got something that's inside of a data center, I've got something that's between data centers or I have something that's going global, I'm going to have different sweet spots and different technologies are going to solve those problems in different ways. And maybe I need to do a, a, a variety of them to get the best, the best results that I'm looking for. That's completely normal to do. So what I've been involved in is something called everything you wanted to know about storage but were too proud to ask. It's a SNEA Ethernet Storage Forum series. I think we've done eight of them now. That basically goes back to basics. That it treats people as if they're intelligent, because most of the people who actually ask the question are. And it says, look, these may be the things that you've heard people talk about, but you don't know exactly what they mean. I'm going to tell you what they mean. And we go into the basics. We talk about what an initiator is. We talk about what a target is. We talk about what you know, different management types are. We talk about, 
you know, what is caching? What is buffering? All of these different things that you will hear in storage on a regular basis, we talk about from the from the the ground up. So we give people the ability to learn more about the the general storage terms because unfortunately you really can't go to a university and learn this stuff. They just don't teach it anymore. And so we've been trying very hard to provide people with a foundation for that. But we're also expanding that into other things too. Like we've done additional work on the NVMe group for how NVMe works with uh, RDMA and uh, PCIe and fabrics and those kinds of things. So within the NVMe context, we're trying to bring people up to speed there. We're also trying to figure out how people can learn about SAN networks on the fiber channel side with FCIA. So all of the different storage professionals are working very hard to be able to provide a back-to-basics approach for people to put their foot in the water without feeling like they're going to get sucked under. And so there are quite a few things that uh, are happening right now, and I'll be happy to share some links with you later on so that you can, uh, you can use when you uh, post this. That would be perfect. Thanks. I just made a note of that. Uh, SNEA series, the everything you wanted to know about storage, but we're too proud to ask. So uh, listeners, we'll include some links in the show notes uh, to some of these resources that uh, Jay is mentioning so that you can follow up on those. I wonder, as I look at how technology is evolving, I I see certain things happening. Like if I think back to early in my career, which was far too long ago, we operated at a certain level. There was a certain level of technical knowledge and experience we needed in order to be sort of functional IT professionals, right? Mm -hmm. And over time, it feels like that level has um, gotten higher. And when I say gotten higher, meaning there are more layers of abstraction now than there were then, which of course makes sense because operating systems have changed and we have hypervisors and so on and so forth. But it feels like the, the sort of the sweet spot, if you will, for where somebody should focus their learning is now at a higher point than it was Earlier in my career, you know, but earlier in my career, we might have had a much deeper knowledge of memory management in an operating system and uh, how the hardware was put together, whatnot, so on and so forth. And, and now it feels like that's more of a niche skill that, on a broad basis, most people don't need to worry about. Um, so I'll, 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 before I continue on with my thought, just to see if you're on the same page, do you, do, do you in general, do you agree with sort of that observation? Mostly. Okay. I, I think that I think that you you've certainly identified the what I call the um, accordion effect, right? So the, the, any technology mm-hmm. is going to wind up bootstrapping itself in terms of human understanding and capabilities over time, and as the scaffolding pulls away, we start to realize ourselves higher in the abstraction stack than we ever really thought we were. Like for example, we don't have to we don't have to flip switches on our computers anymore in order to basically put in a code, simple code for, you know, doing like the Altair 8800, right? Um, so we, we've, we've moved beyond that. But as things get simpler to use, underneath the hood, they're far more complex. And so the, the amount of work that goes into making things simple is still require, does, it still requires a lot of very technical knowledge. It's just that the, the separation between those who tend to use it and those who tinker with it are going to be very different than those who actually have to build it on that level. But I think by and large, I, I agree with your assessment. Okay. So I, and, and I agree that the simplicity that we see doesn't mean that it actually is simple. It just means that the complexity has been hidden in some mm-hmm. fashion. You know, as we start talking about building out a software defined storage solution that is taking and presenting logical volumes from physical, you know, persistent you know, non-volatile memory existing across multiple systems. There's a lot of complexity there, and not only the software layer, but you mentioned networking, of course, and 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 the actual storage itself. Um, so it might it might be perceived as being simple, like oh look, I just click here and I give myself a volume, but there's actually a great deal of complexity underneath the hood. Yeah, I guess my question is, and and I, and as I think about as well my own very limited career in storage, and nowhere to the extent that what you've had to do, but you know, I, I looked at. Like when I first started getting into storage, you had to you had to size a storage array, you know, based not just on capacity, but based on, you know, IOPS, right? And so we had to look mm-hmm. at, oh, well, these 10K drives, are they 15K drives? What kind of interconnected you have? You know, you're striping volumes across shelves because you want to get advantage of multiple buses and blah, 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 blah. And it just seems like now with between NVMe and these very high-speed storage um, 
technologies and then ever increasing capacities that some of this wizardry, if you will, that we needed to know before, we don't really need to know anymore. And oh, on the, actually, on the contrary. Okay. All right. Uh, on the contrary. And, and, and I think part of the reason is because you need to know when not to use it anymore. Because one of the problems that we're coming into to face right now is the fact that NVMe removes some of the layers of abstraction that we've been using for so long that we will build it into the system because that's the way we've always done it, not because it's necessary anymore. So, for instance, RAID. You mentioned RAID. Okay. Um, RAID is designed specifically to do um, uh, one primary thing, and that is basically sh basically provide the ability to have a little bit additional resiliency in the face of imminent failure. Uh, not imminent. Uh, sorry, I meant um, inevitable failure. Right. So, so the idea that you can create data stores that allow you to change the way that you write and read from them and provide an extra parity so that you can recover in case something goes bad is a good thing, especially if you happen to have very slow devices because you can improve the performance on those slow devices. Now, that's great because of the fact that if you've got a spinning disk and you have five spinning disks that are all running slow, but you can approach them asynchronously, you can get better performance and better reliability. But what we do with RAIDs for flash and SSDs is that we don't have the advantage of that much, we don't have the advantage of taking away the disadvantage of spinning disks. In other words, we're not gaining anything from the drive level by RAIDing. We still get the resiliency and we still get a little bit of performance, but mostly on the write side, not on the read side, because when you read something, you're just reading it straight from a drive. You're not reading it from the entire RAID array. And so that's actually a limit when we start to get to, into NVMe, because the relationship between the storage devices and NVMe does not require that kind of performance gain. In fact, that's adding in additional layers of abstraction that you don't actually need. So other forms of reliability and resiliency now become something of a question mark. And so that's why erasure coding and regeneration codes and network coding are becoming more and more of a topic of consideration because erasure coding does the exact same thing. It, it, it allows you to break out the data into manageable chunks with parity and be able to distribute them according to a certain algorithm that is conducive to whatever application you're using. And by application, I'm primarily talking about the operating systems and the way that the CPU works with its, its, its OS. But it doesn't require us to bottleneck that throughput inside of a RAID controller. And that's, the, that's where the, we, we now need to know, well, what are we giving up? What are we gaining? And what are we just simply not needing anymore? So I think you really do need to understand how these things actually fit together if you're, if you're not going to inject mistakes into the system. That, that's fair. Uh, but is that something that is more for the builders, you know, the people who are putting together these technologies, or is that for the people who are going to be consuming them? I mean, again, looking at this from... From the perspective of an outsider, if I'm a if I'm a, a dedicated storage engineer who is building and designing storage systems of some mm -hmm. scale, right? Yes, I absolutely need to know this sort of thing. But if I am a developer who's trying to understand a little bit more about storage and how that and what impact that's going to have on my application, or if I am a networking professional trying to understand how storage is evolving and what that means for my network, or if I'm a cloud architect, and I'm trying to understand, okay, how do I approach cloud-based storage differently than I approach on-premises on storage? Is that level of detail still necessary? Well, I don't think that you're going to have to introduce that level of detail for people who don't already have a need for it, right? So if you're a cloud storage architect and you're not already looking at RAID provisioning, then no, you're not going to have to all of a sudden learn it just so that you know where it's going. So, so no, I don't, I don't think that you're going to have to introduce that stuff to people who don't already need to know it. Um, uh, I just meant that, that to your point, I, I just meant that if you, if this is the kind of thing that you are the world that you're living in, yeah, you definitely need to know, you know, what the differences are, but, but it's a fair point. It, the, the reality is that we're going to be hidden. That stuff is going to be hidden more and more 
from the actual practitioners of storage. But it's also going to be hidden from the practitioners of of, of networking and, and even the, the DevOps people. I think what's going to wind up happening is that the people who are into, like the, there may be virtualization admins, for example, are going to need to know how to evaluate the way that their hypervisors interact with the storage systems and then re- reproduce that back up to the guest VMs. There are all kinds of technologies that are coming out in storage right now that are dedicated to giving direct access into the VMs that facilitate mobility. And that's true inside of NVMe. It's true inside of Fiber Channel. It's true inside of RDMA. It's true in a lot of different ways. So so in that case, the virtualization admins, yeah, they need to know about how this stuff works. And they need to know really, really quickly because they're going to be blindsided with a whole bunch of terminology and vernacular that they're not familiar with if they don't. Sure, sure. That makes sense. And I think that that brings us really nicely into sort of the next thing that I wanted to talk about, which is around skill sets and and where you know, where people should be focusing their time and their effort moving forward. It'll be difficult to, I think, to, to, to handle this because there's such a broad range. Like, you know, even just in that previous question we were talking about, you know, there are virtualization admins who probably need to have a much stronger grasp of this sort of thing. But then there's also, let's say, folks who are managing cloud-based deployments who aren't going to need to know it quite as well for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is that the cloud provider isn't going to uh, expose that level of detail to you. So uh, for somebody who's coming in, again, the premise of the podcast being, hey, we need to step outside our silos. We need to learn more about the other data center technologies in the stack. What what impact does this have on skill sets for people moving forward? I mean, what what should somebody who says, I need to bone up on my storage skills, where do they start? What are the key things they should they should focus on? Well, there are two different answers to that question. One, one is under, getting a general knowledge, a general foundation knowledge, and that that refer, refers back to the kind of starter material that I was referring to earlier, like the, the the too proud to ask series, for instance. The other thing, too, however, is is to step outside their comfort zone on whatever it is that they're currently working on. So, for instance, if you happen to be a networking admin. You really need to understand what the impact of high-performance storage is going to be on your network. I'll give you an example. NVMe drives provide a massive amount of throughput. Normal applications typically, and traditionally, have needed eh, 300, 400 IOPS. So when you're having a virtualized environment where you're adding all these different applications up, you could get to a pretty decent amount. And adapters inside the server would handle, you know, 150, 200,000 IOPS. So a lot of applications for sustained and, and bursty throughput. It's, it's pretty significant. But even so, the storage was still considered to be slow because, unfortunately, it makes a difference when you start to get into large scales and it's not a, it's not a standard way of, of moving data around on the pipe. NVMe has the ability for each individual drive to do over a million IOPS. That's each individual drive. And if we have a system like a like an appliance for 24 drives, just imagine how much bandwidth is going to be coming through that appliance onto the network. And we're looking at appliances and we're looking at storage devices now that start at 100 gig back into the system. That just does storage, right? So now we've got multiple 100 gig links coming in from a single storage device into the network. So network guys really need to understand what's going to happen when you all of a sudden put orders of magnitude of storage onto the network willy-nilly. So they need to understand what the, you know, uh, what possible unintended consequences or catastrophic events if you have the wrong network. So for instance, if I'm doing everything up in an upper layer TCP protocol and I just start throwing a whole bunch of, of bandwidth onto the network, what are the impacts? Well, you get a lot of retries for one thing. You're going to get a lot of congestion for another. And you have to be careful about how many devices actually get onto the system at any given point in time. So ultimately, um, they need to understand what the impact of massive amounts of storage bandwidth on their particular networks is going to be. And only they can actually make that decision for them. So that's why you have to combine what you currently know, what you currently work with, and what what you know, what kind of thorn in your side do you have with, with storage? And then imagine that to be a lot worse 
and then try to figure out how to mitigate that before it actually begins. Compute, they got the same problem. Um, virtualization guys in particular, and I know I'm, I'm using the, that example because I know that's that's a subject that's near and dear to your heart, but we have the same problem with CPUs, right? So if I've got CPUs that are dedicated, you know, they have got cores dedicated for different types of applications or in different types of, solu- uh, not solutions, um, uh, factors and threads inside of the system, including virtualized. And I put a couple of uh, NVMe devices onto the system. Well, how are you going to handle you know, 1.5 million IOPS coming back into the CPU unmitigated? Right? What What is going to happen to your C- CPU utilization if that winds up happening? And in our test labs, we can we can max out a CPU with the latest and greatest CPUs with only two two NVMe drives that do nothing but I/O. There's no room for running an operating system. There's no room for running as a hypervisor, let alone any kind of application, right? So so these kinds of things are going to have profound impacts on on admins for the host side as well. So all these these things need to be understood if you're going to be responsible for keeping your own customers happy, meaning your, your people in your, that work in your company or that if you, if you do co-location, it's going to impact other, other clients and so on. Because just imagine, the question is, what is going to happen if all of a sudden you are maxed out and where it's coming from is storage? That's the kind of thing that you need to understand, and how are you going to mitigate that? So you have to understand the technology, you have to understand the vernacular, you have to understand the, the way that people talk about storage. You have to you have to know what oversubscription means. You have to know what fan in it means. You have to know what um, you know QoS is and how it works. You know so that you can carve up your your paths in such a way that you don't starve anything. You know by making a mistake. And yeah, they, you need to know what's just beyond your existing skill set, and and what you what you used to throw over the wall, move your wall out. Try to figure out what you can learn yourself that you won't necessarily have to rely on somebody else to explain why things are going badly, for lack of a better word. Oh no, that's that's great advice, and it's uh, certainly something that I've reiterated a number of times: is getting getting listeners to move outside of their comfort zone, and and incrementally as you point out, move their wall out incrementally, sort of expand the boundary of what you're comfortable with and familiar with. And you don't need to you be an expert in this stuff, but you need to be familiar with it. You need to understand what the terminology is. You need to understand what the, the key principles are and, and how those principles are going to in fact sort of impact the bigger, bigger picture. Now, let me, let me take that, that same question, the impact of changes on, on people's skill sets, flip it on its head slightly and say, okay, now, Let's let's talk about the trend of and and we don't need to get into the debate about how much, but the trend of significant numbers of applications moving into public cloud providers. Mm-hmm. What impact is that going to have? I think it's going to change the nature of the of the pyramid. You know, when I when I say the pyramid, I'm talking about the the who does what pyramid. You know. Um, We've we, people were saying, well, block storage is going to be dead. Block block storage is no more because now everything's going to be IP based file type stuff or object type stuff. And I asked them one very simple question. I said, really, are you going to run your databases on object storage now? Oh no, no, that's not what I meant. I'm like, well, what did you mean? Well, what we meant is that we're going to have Amazon run it. Well, what do you think Amazon runs on? I think the application. Administrators, you know, the Oracle database management factor. It doesn't matter whether or not the the interface that they access it is going to be on Amazon or it's going to be inside of their own on-site data center. And there's still going to be database administrators. I don't know if the actual storage admins are going to wind up needing to be as hands-on with the provisioning in the same fashion because of the fact that they're they're now effectively leasing the storage systems from Amazon or some other company, Azure or uh, you know Google or wh- whoever's running the, the the show, and that's all about management of the provisioning as opposed to allocation. Of the storage provisioning, and so their skill sets are really going to become a little bit more more simplified from that perspective. Um, but what they're probably going to have to do more than they currently do now is understand some of the regulatory aspects of things, with especially with multinational corporations. 
And I mean anybody who has a company or an office outside of one country, right? That constitutes multinational because the regulations that are going on and where the storage actually exists and where the storage is going to be placed has profound implications from a regulatory perspective. So I think that the storage admins in particular and the applications admins are, are going to need to understand where the data is and how that's going to impact their ability to access it and what happens if that access goes away because of whatever kind of political or, or country boundaries are crossed. That's going to be far more important for the average admin, I think, because it's not just going to be about what the where the data is. It's going to be what kind of data is going to be where. So they're going to have a bit more of a regulatory bent than an actual administrative bent from that perspective, I think. That that makes a lot of sense. I think that the the key takeaway for listeners should be for 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 on-premises, there's still a lot of fairly in-depth technical knowledge you're going to need. And this is going back to our discussions around, you know, okay, as you connect devices that are far more powerful to uh, networks and to hosts, the impact of that on, uh, you know, networking, the impact of that on host resources, the impact of that on uh, virtualization technologies or whatever the case may be, obviously there's going to be uh, quite a bit for for people to know and understand and learn. On the flip side, as you look more at the public cloud, that there's still a lot for you to know and learn, but that is less about the technology since that is being sort of hidden beneath the covers by the cloud provider. And instead, you're going to have to take a, a one, two, three steps higher and talk more about data availability, um, you know, SLAs, regulatory concerns, data placement, uh, those sorts of things, rather than the in-depth technical details of whether you're using NVMe or some other technology underneath. Yeah, and I think that I I I don't think I can I can overstate this. I think that the security element, the um, the the regulatory element, especially for those people who are running the storage aspect of things inside of um, uh, inside of their companies is going to be extremely important. If they haven't heard of GPRD, I'm sorry, GDPR, they need to. It's the General Data Protection Regulation, which is managed by the European Union. Very, very important. By June of next year, you're going to have major issues on your hand. If you're talking, if you've got cloud storage and you don't know what, what that means, you're going to have a very bad day. So understand that kind of thing really quickly. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I've, I've already been having quite a few discussions around GDPR, actually. Um, so it's fast approaching, uh, folks. Definitely you want to pay attention to what Jay's telling you here. All right, so we're, we're coming up on a time limit here. I don't want to take up too much time out of the listener's day. But I, I know. And I, honestly, it's a great discussion. I'm thoroughly enjoying it, and I'd love to just keep going. But at the same time, I think that if we publish a two-hour show, our listeners may be a little upset. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, hey, we can always do another one later on, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. It'd be awesome. So as we as we wrap up, I was just wondering, again, the, the premise of the show, one of the things that I'm very, very particular about is, is sort of being very practical, very, very realistic about as a listener listens to the show and then comes away, what are some specific things that they could do? Uh, that would help them along their journey. So I'm wondering, you know, as we've talked about all of these things, and we've covered a lot of ground, I believe, in this in this episode, are there any sort of very practical, very down-to-earth, you know, actionable things that you would provide to listeners to say, hey, listeners, you're, you're done listening to the podcast now. Here are some key takeaways, things that you can go look at, look up, um, you know, read about, whatever. Yeah, I, I think I think first and foremost, no problem is unsolvable. You know, if if you're not sure about what's going on, uh, it's always good to ask questions. There's quite a library of information out there to help you get your your feet wet, and get up to speed on how this stuff actually works. You can, by all means, uh, ask questions. I'm I I'm available for answering questions. You can ask me anything. It's uh, there are a lot of people who are very friendly and willing to help on answer some of these things for people. I do recommend taking a look at the the library of of information for beginners online. 
the the main organizations, the NVM Express Group, SNEA, the Storage Networking Industry Association, the Fiber Channel Industry Association, all of those different groups have been working on uh, providing basics for people, which are vendor neutral, by the way. There, there's no, they're not selling any products. This is all about how the technology works, and that's um, that's a that's a big selling point for a lot of people. No pun intended. Um, and I think don't be afraid to challenge some of the assumptions that you have had for years on the way that storage works. You know, storage is not simply data at the end of a wire. So understanding a little bit more can, can help solve you some grief in the long run, but don't be afraid to admit that, you know, maybe, maybe there's something here that you didn't know about and that will help go a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's that talk about, you know, knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know and then not knowing what you don't know. Um, and I think it's important to admit that there's a great deal of information out there that we don't know and we don't know that we don't know it. So always be open to expanding your own skill set and your own uh, your own expertise. Uh, fantastic information, Jay. Um, sorry, you were going to add something? Go ahead. Oh, I was just, all I was going to say was uh, one of my favorite phrases is the more I learn, the more I have left to learn. Uh, yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. So uh, as we wrap up, Jay, why don't you remind listeners of where they can um, stalk you online? Sure. Well, they can stalk me online at, at Dr. J Metz on Twitter. That's D-R-J-M-E-T-Z. And I do have a storage bibliography, which I forgot to mention in the beginning, at my own website, which is jmetz.com. So there's a lot of material that I've already spoken about, which is available there for perusal as well. All right. Thanks, Jay, for being here on the show. I really appreciate it. I think that the listeners have gotten some great information on what they can do to become a little more familiar with the changes that are happening in storage and how they can be better prepared for those, whether they are um, dealing with storage on-premises or dealing with storage in the cloud. Listeners, thanks so much for joining uh, us today. I am super thrilled that you took time out of your day to join us. If you get a moment and you enjoyed the show, please uh, provide some feedback on iTunes or wherever you got the show and uh, let us know how we're doing. You can also hit me on Twitter as at FSJ podcast. That's um, at full stack journey, FSJ podcast, or you can uh, hit me directly as at Scott underscore low. And as always, uh, we uh, sincerely appreciate you joining us and we look forward to joining, uh, joining together in the near future for more talk about storage and progressing along the full stack journey. Thanks everyone. Mm-hmm.